I'm Mike, and it's time for another Dry Plug. This will be episode number seven. It'll follow the NIOSH report number F2003-18. The title of it is Partial Roof Collapse and Commercial Structure Fire Claims the Lives of Two Career Firefighters. It happened in Tennessee. The incident date was June 15 of 2003, and the report was released on July 26 of 2004. We'll start with the department. This is a career fire department, and it has 1,500 uniformed personnel that operate out of 53 stations. The department serves a population of approximately 900,000 in an area of about 434 square mile. So, you know, this is a large department. Um, and with large department comes, you know, a lot of experience. It, it took many, many years to accomplish a fire department of this size. And so we can expect um, kind of salty guys and gals that, are, that show up on scene. And of course, that doesn't take away from smaller departments. There can be plenty of smaller departments that have been around since you know, the, the dawn of time, but in particular, this one seems like it's uh, grown substantially enough to be, you know, a, a working body of 1,500 uniformed people. It's pretty impressive. The training for this fire department, victim one had more than 11 years of experience and he'd successfully completed all of the training courses that required by the state and all that, plus some. Again, a very, very good acumen for these both of these firefighters victim two had more than 18 years of experience and also successfully completed all of the necessary and and then some 18 years is uh you know kind of close to my heart because that's where i am in my in my career now so looking at the the things that i know to be true today um and Putting it up against the fact that a, a person lost their life with that many years of experience is pretty humbling. Under equipment, additional units were dispatched. However, only those units directly involved in the operations preceding the fatal incident are discussed in the investigation section of this report. Engine 31 had a lieutenant uh, who was initial incident command and was later victim one and two firefighters that included victim two and a driver operator. The engine 26 had a lieutenant and two firefighters and a driver operator. Truck 11, a lieutenant, two firefighters, driver operator. Engine 27, lieutenant, two firefighters, driver operator. Truck six, lieutenant, firefighter, tillerman, driver operator. Battalion chief two, was the second incident command. Battalion Chief 11 was on the Charlie Delta Corner Sector Command. Rescue 2, Lieutenant, two firefighters, and a driver operator. Division 1 was Deputy Chief. He was the final incident command. The National Fire Protection Agency Fire Protection Handbook 18th Edition identifies this type of construction as type 2 non-combustible. 
Type 2 construction consists of structural members including interior and exterior walls, columns, beams, girders, trusses, arches, roofs, and floors that are made of non-combustible materials. The building had 8,925 square feet of space, of which 6,670 square was retail space. It was not protected by sprinklers, nor were the open webbed steel trusses protected by any fire-resistive coating. The exterior walls were all constructed with 12-inch masonry blocks with a four-hour fire rating. A new roof was installed April 10, 2001, and consisted of hot asphalt over a three-quarter-inch fiberboard membrane covering corrugated metal sheeting. The flat roof was supported by unprotected open web steel trusses commonly called bar joists. These joists were supported by the exterior sidewalls and interior steel columns. The store was sectioned into parts by a block wall with a man door for access between the two. The front section was for retail operations and consisted of a suspended ceiling which covered the bottom of the roof trusses. The discount mercantile operation in the front section contained merchandise ranging from automotive supplies to clothing. The rear section was used for storage and also consisted of a separate office space. The steel bar joists were open in the rear storage section which shared the void space in the front created by the suspended ceiling. Non-combustible should never equate to safe in which to operate. As described in this large open expanse with exposed lightweight bar joists over center block walls, this is a high roof collapse potential. Any significant heat exposure to those lightweight metal trusses could initiate collapse with no appreciable sag, depending on you know, what the constituent materials were, of course. This building was approximately 100 to 125 feet deep. It had a storage section that was separated by a party wall constructed of, of blocks with the door. The mix of items sold, it, you know, kind of suggests a Dollar General or some, some sort of dollar store type thing. Everything from automotive suggesting oil and maybe starter fluid to clothing. But if this was truly a dollar store type setup, everything is made to move cheaply, meaning what? It means plastics. Also, this was what it's a, it's a low frequency fire it's in this commercial occupancy now now where i'm from we see our share but we're not job town even job town won't likely see as many commercial jobs as residential so if you show up to a commercial fire operating on a residential timeline there's a potential for the thing to get out from under you a little side note here is that you know of course suburb firefighters will have to adjust yet again as lightweight construction practices take over the world. It's nothing for a total roof collapse of those new three-story garden apartment things um, in, in you know 15 minutes with under 10 minutes a, a distinct possibility. If met with a heavy body of fire in the cockloft, you know, time must be adjusted accordingly in these lightweight situations. Beginning the investigation, on June 15, 2003, a 39-year-old male career firefighter, uh, he was a lieutenant who was victim one, and a 39-year-old male career firefighter, victim two, died while trying to exit a commercial structure following a partial roof collapse. At approximately 19.45 hours, Central Dispatch received a call of a structure fire in a commercial occupancy with possible entrapment and dispatched 
the first alarm assignments. Engine 31 was the first to arrive on the scene at 1950 hours and radioed Central Dispatch to report light smoke showing from the roof and in the building. Five minutes, they're on scene. It's, you know, again, just a solid response time. That's just, that's just good work. People that are willing to, to go to work and affect positive change, it just, it, it's really inspiring. I like that. The lieutenant from E31, who was victim one, assumed incident command. The driver operator from E31 began forcing the front door while the crew prepared to enter the store. Engine 26 and truck 11 arrived on scene at 11.51 hours, just a minute behind. Engine 26 began laying a 5-inch supply line from a hydrant to engine 31. Truck 11 was ordered to the roof to investigate the air conditioning unit for possible malfunctions. Engine 27 arrived on the scene at 19.52 hours and began assisting engine 31. Truck 6 arrived on the scene at 19.53 and began forcing the door at the rear of the building, the Charlie side. So lots of things happening as they should. You know, the second dew is laying in. They've got bodies on the roof that are searching for uh, the possibility of uh, an origin for this light smoke that was presenting. They're looking at things like the air conditioner units. That's super common in these commercial structures. Uh, one of the one of the main sources of smoke is a is a faulty unit up there. So uh, that's you know obviously they're moving in a forward direction and thinking about all the possibilities. But that door that was forced on the Charlie side was it was it left open? I I don't know that that's clear. If it was something that was left open, this is another training moment, right? Open a door, close a door. Even even once you force it, and you've done your your sweep inside or or gone as far as you can, you need to close that thing back up, right? The IC or victim one and the lieutenant from engine twenty six entered the building to investigate and search for the fire. Light smoke allowed the officers to see the back of the store, which was approximately 100 feet long. Victim 1 and Lieutenant 26 proceeded to the rear without donning their masks. There was no visible fire in the store. You know, I don't know. Uh, is this Lieutenant, the, the Lou, is, is that the company officer rank for this department? It's hard for me to discern with this limited reading. Lieutenant here is the chauffeur's position with the ability, of course, to act up if the officer is off. Um, but if, if so, if this lieutenant was a, a, a lower ranking officer, this could account for the lieutenant's decision to go interior and recon this fire in that he was motivated to go in by a, maybe a lack of experience in the quote unquote command mode. One of the hardest things to do is to, you know, relinquish the irons or the nozzle, give up the saw or the turntable to someone else as a, as a person makes rank. But it's necessary. Maybe this guy was one of those stuck on go. Maybe he felt that his presence outside and in command wasn't as valuable as interior, that he could affect the most good with his own eyes on the subject. Whatever his reasoning, he went interior and that kind of begins a process whereby things begin to get pear-shaped. It's so important to train officers on command presence, though perhaps more importantly, it would be most beneficial to promote based on an example of command presence. 
It is for their eyes and brains that good officers are good. They ingest the scene and they use the recall power of their brain to make differential diagnoses, solutions to the fire scene. I can't profess to know as much as I talk regarding command, but I work with some giants and in them I have witnessed the true power of command presence. Regardless, command in this instance entered the fire building. Victim 1 and Lieutenant 26 entered the storeroom in the rear to search for the fire. The smoke conditions in the storeroom were heavier but did not require officers to don their masks. Lieutenant 26 proceeded to the office located along the B side of the storeroom. That's the Bravo side of the storeroom. He heard crackling behind the office door and opened it to investigate. The fire flared up with force, which kept him from shutting the door. There's a note that says the fire originated in the store's office and was later determined to be an arson fire. So this is another instance of an accelerated fire. It's not just burning those synthetics that we talked about earlier or the, or the construction materials. It's burning a, a secondarily added fuel. So it's got a good lead. He opens the door and it flares up in his face. Light smoke showing allowed them to enter without even placing their masks. I've, I've done it, of course, but in their case, they did have light smoke showing upon arrival. Entering without a hose line at the ready begins a process by which time uh, that we gained on the rig room floor, a sub five minute response time in this case, we begin to give back. You know, this is why we stretch lines ad nauseum. If you're complained to by your, by your crew, of course, you know, why are we doing this? Why do we keep doing the same old basic stuff? It's necessary that work get done regardless of direct command. I want my guys to operate somewhat independently if I'm not there to give orders. I insist that they read the scene and stretch if needed before being prompted. You know, it's, it's only hose. It can go back on the rig. This must be trained on and expectations should be clearly delineated. A line could have been advanced to the alpha side entry without prompt and would have been standing by if needed urgently, even if just shouldered, because guys were committed inside. The number one thing for me is to support the fire ground. When I'm not interior, my number one job is to support the fire ground. So when someone is inside, I'm going to do all that I can to make their lives safer. The lieutenant, 26, heard crackling behind the storage door. You know, it's 2003. Did he have a tick? Uh, who knows? But did he or could he have assessed the door for heat before opening it and introducing a new flow path? Who knows? But it's worth training in the five senses. Of course, we have to eliminate taste and smell from interior operations except, of course, in cases like a light ballast whose smell gives it away upon you know, making the room of origin. But for the most part of our original senses, we have touch, hearing, sight, and add intuition, which is what experience, and then a thermal imaging. We have to train to exhaust all options up our decision-making tree, expeditiously, but nonetheless scientifically. If you are in quote-unquote investigation mode, which clearly Lieutenant 31, Lieutenant 26 were, 
you should use to your advantage all five senses. At approximately 1952, victim one radioed for a pre-connect. Lieutenant 26 exited to assist laying the handline. Battalion Chief 2 arrived on the scene at approximately 1954 and took over as the IC per department standard operating procedures. Victim 2 and the firefighter from Engine 27 donned their SEBA and advanced the 200 foot inch and three quarter pre-connect through the front door. A firefighter from Engine 31 stayed outside to feed slack into the interior crew. Conditions allowed the crew to see the illuminated exit sign in the rear of the retail store. Approximately four to five minutes later, Lieutenant 26 pulled a two and a half inch pre-connect that had two 150 foot inch and three quarter hand lines attached by a gated Y. He connected the two 150 foot inch and three quarter hand lines to make a 300 foot section to ensure the rear of the store could be reached. He then proceeded toward the rear of the retail area with a firefighter from engine 26. Heavy smoke was now coming out of the front door of the store and visibility was near zero throughout the entire store. Three members from truck 11 put an extension ladder to the roof on the Delta side of the structure to begin roof operations. When they were ordered by the IC to enter the front of the store to pull ceiling tiles in the retail area. Just after this order, the driver and a firefighter from truck six went to the roof to start ventilation. At 1858 hours, Battalion Chief 11 arrived on scene and was given command of the Charlie Delta sector. BC 11 was approached by a store employee and was informed that the store manager might still be inside. Note, the store manager was not inside the building. Rescue 2 arrived on scene at 1959 and was assigned as the rapid intervention team on the Alpha side. Lieutenant 26 radioed Engine 31 for the lines to be charged. Both nozzles were open and directed toward the office area, which knocked down the fire behind the rear wall as it started to roll across the ceiling from the Bravo to the Charlie Corner. Victim 2 requested to be relieved on the nozzle by firefighter from Engine 27, who was backing him up on the hand line. Note, this is believed that Victim 2 took position behind the nozzleman to assist with the operations of the hand line. This is the last time Victim 2 was seen until he was removed from the building. You ever fought so hard that you willfully surrendered the nozzle? I've been interior on a few where the nozzle gets passed around like a hot potato from member to member. And each guy then takes, you know, this gasping breather with his hands on his knees. This victim, too, was a tough guy. He got off the nozzle and went straight to backup. That's solid work, and he was working hard. Victim 1 came up to engine 27 firefighter and directed him to bring the line to the storeroom. They experienced intense heat when they entered the storeroom and when the hand line was open, they heard electrical popping sounds from the ceiling area. At approximately the same time, a firefighter from truck 11 was attempting to pull ceiling tiles with a six foot pike pole when the fire flared up in the void space and blew an area of suspended ceiling and air vents downward onto the crews below. No, it is believed that a possible backdraft took place when the ceiling tiles were opened. Victim 1 made a radio transmission, ordered everyone to back out of the store. The intense heat and flames coming from the ceiling area forced the crews from truck 11, a lieutenant and two firefighters, and engine 26, a lieutenant and a firefighter, back out of the store. 
At approximately the same time, victim one and the firefighter from engine 27 were knocked to their knees by falling debris. E02, 12 minutes after his arrival, victim one called for help by stating, Mayday, Mayday, engine 31, I'm trapped inside. A low air alarm could be heard on the background during his transmission. Note, it is believed that a partial roof collapse occurred at this time. The IC immediately deployed the writ and called for a second alarm. Division Chief 1 arrived on scene at 20.03 hours and assumed incident command while BC2 took over fire ground operations. Truck 6 forced open the rear door at 20.03. The Charlie Delta Sector Command did not hear the Mayday call and requested additional manpower to search for the store manager. Victim 1 requested to buddy breathe from the Engine 27 Firefighters SCBA. The Engine 27 firefighter stated that he was also low on air as his low air alarm was sounding. The decision was made to follow the hand line out of the structure. Their path was impeded from the partial collapse and their hose line was buried under large piles of debris in the aisles. The firefighter was crawling over the debris with victim one holding onto his boot. The firefighter from engine 27 heard a call for help off to his left side as the, they crawled over that pile had his boot. Engine 31, victim one, was the guy who called to withdraw from the interior because he recognized the intensifying conditions. He was taking a beating, but still in command of his faculties and alert to the fact that he didn't want others to take it like he was. This was a for the guys guy. Unbeknownst to him, some maybe uncoordinated, if that was if that was even a term in O three, ventilation was occurring at the front of the store where ceiling tiles were being removed. Falling debris from a likely violent fire or smoke event in the cockloft took him to his knees, likely to his face, and again he had it in him to holler out a mayday over the radio. Shortly thereafter, you know, the rattle of his vibro alert begins to slow and become erratic in spots. He needs air, but he, he probably knows that there, there just ain't enough to go around. He grabs the foot of the engine 27 hero, and they begin to follow the hose line out. This is an instinct. Instinct was carried away by the rhythmic, almost meditative mantra, smooth bump bump to the pump, smooth bump bump. This was training. This was discipline. But it just wasn't going to get him out of this jam. It just wasn't going to get him out. The RIT team entered the front of the store and ran into Lieutenant 26, who was on his feet but out of air. They removed him from the store, thinking that he was the firefighter who radioed the distress call. The IC called for a personnel accountability report at 20.07 hours and determined that the firefighter who made the distress call was inside and the RIT re-entered. The firefighter from E-27 made it over the pile of debris and ran out of air. He was struggling to remain conscious when he saw the light and called for help. Rip found and carried out the firefighter. That's two. That's two people found. The IC called for another par and confirmed that two firefighters were now missing. Rit entered a third time, but the rear of the retail area was blocked by the roof collapse. The Rit was driven out by intense heat and advised command that the fire needed to be knocked down before they could re-enter. Two members from Truck 6 made two entries into the storeroom through the rear door on the Charlie side, searching for the store manager. 
As they were exiting the second time, they heard a, person, a personal alert safety system device, pass device sounding from near the wall separating the retail area from the storeroom. The crew reached the wall and made their way to the door leading to the retail area. They determined there were two pass devices sounding on either side of the wall. They found victim two inside the storeroom and notified command they had found one firefighter at 2013 hours. Victim two was transported to a local hospital where he died the next day. The two firefighters on the roof from tw truck six reported a large roof sag at 2014 with fire extending through the roof on the Bravo side. They immediately exited the roof having completed only a partial ventilation hole. Super tough to cut through that that the layering of materials on a commercial roof. It's very, very difficult. Additional attempts were made to rescue victim one. However, with conditions worsening, it was decided to go to a defensive attack. Command sounded the evacuation horns at 20, 24 hours. You know, just getting back to the, the commercial roof thing, the few that I've been on, and again, I'm not a truck guy, but I've been on a few. The few that I've been on, in my estimation, you want to start with a larger hole than you think is necessary because that that um, tar over plywood layer um, is you want to kind of tunnel into that so that the next layer, which is going to be your 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 metal, um, you can cut that more or less freely, um, but within the stud bays uh, or the joist bays. So that, that's my personal opinion, um, and again, I'm not a truck guy, so I welcome any uh, true truckies to, to give some insight on how to open up a commercial roof. Crew members formed a rescue group and breached a hole in the Bravo side wall at 21.10. Victim 1 was removed and placed in an ambulance approximately 21.26 and transported to a local hospital where he was pronounced dead. The cause of death, as reported by the county medical examiner for victim one, was thermal burns. The cause of death for victim two was thermal inhalation injuries. So on to recommendations and uh, discussions. Recommendation number one is that fire departments should ensure that the first arriving company officer does not become involved in firefighting efforts when assuming the role of incident command. They discussed the nothing showing mode, which is basically investigation, fast attack mode when you need to make a, a, a quick decisive action on the fire and your, your physical input is going to help move that process along. So you're in kind of a fast attack mode um, and then command mode when you need kind of overall control of the situation. In this case, the decision was made to kind of mix the nothing showing mode, even though they had light smoke, they were kind of on a nothing showing type investigative mode with a fast attack mode. But what they lacked was maybe a charged handline earlier um, and, and maybe just a little more, um, if a person wants to call it aggressive approach, I, I don't know that that's appropriate, but just a little more um, uh, extinguishment-minded approach. Get that line in there and charged so that you're not calling for water when things start to go kind of sideways. Recommendation number two, fire department should ensure that the incident command conducts an initial size-up and risk assessment of the initial scene before beginning interior firefighting operations. 
Recommendation number three, fire departments should conduct pre-incident planning and inspections for mercantile and business occupancies. Vincent Dunn states in Command and Control of Fires and Emergencies, quote, most firefighters who die fighting fires perish in residential occupancies. This is a statistical matter. More fires occur in residences. However, when we examine the number of firefighter deaths per fire, we see that commercial occupancies are more dangerous to personnel. A study by the NFPA from 1989 to 93 revealed that 3.1 firefighters died for every 1,000 residential occupancy fires and that 11.6 firefighters died for every 100,000 non-residential occupancy fires such as stores, offices, and warehouses. Again, it becomes important that we adjust our time frames and we adjust what we know about the kind of bread and butter fires that we make so often. We need to adjust that because these lightweight structures want to come down faster. And again, we have to advance that into into our our house fire practices as well because so many homes are being um, are being constructed with the lightweight practices and also being added onto by lightweight practices. So you may walk into a a, a nineteen 10 constructed home with a thousand square foot add-on that's lightweight construction and those two structures will react radically differently. Recommendation number four is that fire departments should ensure that ventilation is closely coordinated with fire tech. This is another reminder. We've seen it before in previous episodes and we'll see it in, in episodes in the future where Coordinated ventilation with fire attack is absolutely key. Recommendation number five, fire department should ensure that firefighters immediately opening ceilings and spaces whenever a fire is suspected of being a truss system. We've got to get those examinations done early. We've got to know what's above us because that gives us an idea as to what the time frame is. It also gives us an idea as to what kind of body of fire we have and in this case, it might have kept people from committing under a large body of fire or a, what, a fuel-rich environment whereby all that unburned kind of smoldering, um, royally smoke entered that plenum space and was just waiting for somebody to poke a hole in it, enter, it, you know, uh, allow some air in and, and the whole thing was kind of going to go boom. Firefighters may have difficulty in finding the exact location of fire in building. Even through, even though heavy smoke makes it clear that fire is present, fire or heavy smoke from the roof suggests that fire could be in the concealed areas of the roof system. The design of the suspended ceiling panels provides a void to hide the fire and allow hot gases to accumulate, which may flash when oxygen is introduced. Recommendation number six, fire department should ensure that firefighters performing fire, uh, firefighting operations under or above trusses are evacuated as soon as it is determined that the trusses are exposed to fire. Even though standard fire engineering calculations show that lightweight trusses may be expected to collapse as soon as 6 to 13 minutes after exposure in a fully developed fire, it is not recommended to set a time limit on working under or above burning trusses. This is key. We have to adjust 
for what we see. And the trusses make, the trusses are a game changer. I think it has to be coupled with the body of fire that we find, the location of the fire, and of course the commitment needs of the structure itself. Do we have to commit everybody interior to put this thing out? Can we can we start to put it out from from exterior if needed, if there's no rescue scenario, which in this case there kind of was. There was a report of somebody inside, but can we put water on it from exterior and move inward? Can we advance with the hose line full bore uh, going into that plenum space and cooling that area as we move? Recommendation number seven is that fire departments should consider using a thermal imaging camera as part of the size-up operation to aid in locating fires in concealed areas. Now, again, this was kind of a big fire department, but in 03, there's no telling the number of ticks that they had. It was relatively uncommon. There were very few. In fact, I think when I came on in 02, I think our chief's cars were the only ones that really carried it. Earn your days on the rigs because we're all lucky to have them. And remember the fallen because they died heroes in service.